Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. We're just going to get right into it. I mean, we got back from our conference. We have so much to talk about, and we're just going to get right into it because we've been sick, and we hope you guys are like all feeling okay because this cold that's been going around that I hate even calling it a cold because, I mean, it hit me hard. I like mm-hmm. airways inflamed. Like mm-hmm. Everyone in our office basically got sick. This weather, I think, is not helping. Like no, going it's supposed from, to rain like, later oh, this yeah. week. It's in. We have like freezing cold. It's like cold. 80 degrees. Yeah, and then now this weekend was 80 degrees, sunny. And then now it's going to rain again. So we hope you guys are taking your Theraflu, taking your vitamins, drinking mm-hmm. some vitamin C, figuring out a way to stay healthy because we know how it is, <laughs> especially yeah. with kids running around, mm-hmm. you know. So much to talk about. We're going to do somewhat of a part one, part two episode to kind of bring us back from COPA. We talked to you guys last that we were going to this conference and COPA is always such an inspirational conference. It kind of helps because, you know, we live in this world that many of you do as well that is so different than we call the real world, right? Yeah. We are so deep into special education and we know a lot of our listeners are as well that it often is hard to talk about the kind of things that you go through and the issues and um, the struggles and how frustrating it can be with like people in the outside world, you know, like you might have friends or relatives that aren't in it with you 100% and you try to talk about your frustrations and it's difficult, right? They don't really get it the same way. And we kind of have that same thing. Like We can't really talk to other attorneys about the frustrations that we deal with and the kind of law that we deal with because it's so different. Mm -hmm. So when we go to COPA, it's great because we talk to attorneys from all over the country that are dealing with the exact same things that we're dealing with. And in a worse position at times because we are in the Ninth Circuit. So... A lot of times people in the 13th circuit get angry at us <laughs> because they're like, you're in the 9th circuit, you have it so good. And obviously we have each state's different laws and then there's case law that right. what from state to state differs, even if we're all in the 9th circuit, right? So oftentimes we're able to see how different people handle different issues. Mm -hmm. For instance, a couple years ago, we had attorneys in Florida that we met that took everything to the Office of Civil Rights. Like everything, it's like straight to the top. Mm -hmm. And that was really interesting to us because here, you know, the focus is mostly on trying to just at the procedural level of the Office of Administrative Hearings bringing forward due process requests where if you're getting the Office of Civil Rights, that's under the Department of Justice. And that's like, that's a whole, a whole other ball game. game. Yeah, there's like investigations. Yeah. Like it's just like crazy. So each and year we get inspired. Right. And each year we just get inspired in different ways. And we get to hear the success stories too where, you know, what everyone's been doing over the course of the last year and right. really get to kind of renew ourselves. What like I this- wish would have broken so that we could have seen how everybody reacted oh was this Operation Varsity Blues, the college admission and bribery scandal that broke last week. Yeah. And that Anger. would have been really interesting to see how our fellow COPA people would have reacted because Amanda found this 
this great article from NPR from the 14th of March, why the college admission scandals hurt students with disabilities. So one of the things that this guy that they, William Rick Singer, right, who is the mastermind behind all of this, he would basically tell his clients, or I guess his clients, to get their kids tested so they could get certain accommodations for the SAT and the ACT. And, you know, he basically would be like, oh, seek extended time on college entrance exams and, you know, just get the medical documentation so that they can get like extra time. And he's like, this was in a voicemail that he left. What happened is all the wealthy families that figured out if I get my kid tested and they get extended time, they can do better on the test. So most of these kids don't even have issues, but they're getting time. The playing field is not fair. <laughs> and that's funny coming from him. And right. it's one of those things where, you know, I had a lot of people, you know, posting articles about this, like on Facebook over the mm-hmm. first couple of days, the story broke and people were just like, this is ridiculous. Da, 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 da. But what, angered me so much was just we have so many kids that struggle to get these accommodations Mm -hmm. and it's just it's ruining it and not to mention I mean I just think it's disgusting to fraudulently pretend you have a disability or your child what kind of example are you setting for your child to say it's okay to lie and say you have a disability so that you can get ahead like are you kidding me do you know how much these kids struggle the kids Mm -hmm. that do have disabilities struggle Mm -hmm. in every aspect of their lives and you're gonna make it seem like that's an advantage it's disgusting yeah it's major and like we've been following it so we'll probably give you guys updates but this was a well-written article you should take a look at it it was written by oh i guess it was heard on all things considered so then they transcribe it for you which is very nice so that people have an advantage which actually i knew you were going to get into the keynote speaker and the technology that she was using and how what would she call it like when you post pictures on instagram she's like oh describe it yeah picture description yeah picture. i think yeah (laughs) the best way to like describe it is if you've ever read a screenplay or any kind of play you will have the descriptions so it's almost like you can visualize it a lot more like I fell in love with reading Shakespeare in high school and that was something where I got so much of that imagery from it because you're not just getting oh so and so said this and so and so this you're getting the walked stage right and came mm-hmm. out and you're getting the descriptions of what's mm-hmm. happening in the scene so she was talking about wanting to make sure to have that so our keynote was I mean we always have amazing keynote speakers but this year was no different in inspiration. It was Haben Gurma. And so she is the first deaf blind graduate from Harvard Law School. And it was just amazing to hear her speak and talk about her experiences. Granted, one of the things she talked about was how she had a lot of earlier intervention. She had a lot of supports in school. She grew up in Oakland. and Yeah, so she was in the public school setting, Oakland Unified School District, which we have attorney friends that are up north and they were like, how did she get this? Like, <laughs> yeah. Oakland. Yeah, and they had some choice words. But yeah, the even the use of technology, like obviously she had her seeing eye doggy with yes. her, which was so cute. And, you know, I'm sure you're probably thinking like deaf and, you know, hard of hearing, you know, aren't they the same? No, they're not the same. And, you know, she's blind. How can she talk? Um, and she was the first graduate from Harvard. You said that. Right? Yeah, Harvard yeah, Law School. Yeah. So, you know, you're thinking, well, how? And she did say that she has limited eyesight, right. but it's very limited. Very limited. She like, actually just prefers to, she was actually showing us that um, she does know American Sign Language, but by touch. Yeah. And 
also her hearing as well is very very limited yeah like i was reading in one of her on her website she has some faqs just kind of about her life and about some of the philosophies that like she's like does a lot of public speaking and she was talking about how she actually learned how to talk Mm -hmm. because and her voice is uh, is a higher pitch because Mm -hmm. that's all she can hear she can hear a little bit of higher i didn't even think her voice sounded like no but she said like she like basically like had a voice coach like she's done everything like her biggest thing is like focusing on like she says disability isn't something that one overcomes that it's Mm. about barriers that exist in the real world Mm -hmm. not in the person so it's Mm -hmm. she hates it when people say things like oh this person with disability overcome Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. to become Mm -hmm. and she's like no I did what I needed to do Mm -hmm. but she focuses on how wanting to have an inclusive society she says we need to frame disability in the sense that it's not up to the person to do something it's about everybody removing barriers for the individual for the student yeah so she talked about how like one I think she didn't really say if it was middle school or high school but like one of her PE teachers instead of being like she can't do anything she's just gonna sit in a corner was like we're gonna teach her how to salsa dance like you know and then eventually she told us about how she was like surfing and yeah like, it's it's just like so crazy like it was just, she's like, just like we just have to find an alternative yeah, you way just have to figure That's, it out yeah yeah so she had somebody on the board with her and she was very articulate and the way that she was reading her speech to us was through a keyboard so she knows braille and she actually had somebody i don't know if she had her speech memorized i thought she had said that she was kind of reading it but it may have been the woman that was sitting next to her who was actually when she made a joke and she was very funny she would be kind of telling her the reactions of the audience yes and so she was reading that through her fingers Mm -hmm. because the woman was like typing those reactions and then she had like questions where people came up and Mm -hmm. typed out the question she read it out loud for everybody and then she would like answer it i thought at one point she had said that she was she had her speech like notes in but i may have like yeah i think she had it memorized probably but what she was reading was what her i don't know if it was her interpreter that was like typing it to her and it was mostly the reactions and stuff like that anything that she couldn't hear but i mean it was it was a great speech i mean one of the things that i pulled actually she posted some pictures of her with President Obama because President Obama actually named her White House Champion of Change. And she actually got him to write on her Braille note to like send her a message. And I've gotten to see these keyboards because I've had a number of clients that have had them. And it's a great... And one of the things, like she was fortunate enough to learn Braille. And I say fortunate in the sense that I know many students that are dealing with vision loss that schools are very against teaching Braille because they think it's not accessible. But she's proven that it is a great way to have accessibility. Yeah, obviously, she, you know, she's able to verbally speak and she has some sign language abilities, but that is her primary mode of communication, she says, is through Braille. She says she, like, she reads a lot you know, mm-hmm. through Braille. I mean, obviously, that's how she got through law school and college school and everything. But she says, she speaks about how disability and innovation are things that really need to be focused on more, that there's universal benefits of inclusive design. So she says that people with disabilities represent the largest minority group, numbering one billion worldwide, which, so she says like reaching a group of this scale creates value for everybody. Organizations that prioritize accessibility benefit by gaining access to a much larger user base. And they improve the experiences for both disabled and non-disabled users and facilitate further innovation. So that's a big thing of what she, though when she was like in school, mm-hmm. a lot of, she was, you know, 
really having to get the schools to focus on what's an alternative. She was right. like the first having to figure out, and she tells a story about mm-hmm. in the cafeteria in her college of mm-hmm. having to ask them to put Braille on the menu so that right. she could read it. Yeah. So definitely an innovator in that sense, but really focusing on having the world knock down barriers. She shouldn't have to, person with disability shouldn't be the one knocking on the barriers. Well, we it was should be. just like sad because it was just like, she's like that had that one PE teacher like and if it wasn't for that one PE yeah. teacher that like and it shouldn't be on her right so often when a man and I go into IEP meetings we're bringing different ideas and it really shouldn't be coming from us like obviously we have a lot of experience with different district staff private staff that kind of give us tips and tricks right and so we can bring that knowledge but it's not really our job to know that stuff. We do know it, but right. it should be coming from, you know, district personnel. We know that they went into education because they care about kids. And I know they get bogged down sometimes, but, you know, you guys are the first line of defense. You have this kiddo in your classroom from the majority of the day and you can see the potential and when you don't see the potential that hurts the child too, you know, yeah. like if we're not focusing on what, little strengths they may have you know and and I'm sure that gets tiring like I've known plenty of special education teachers that didn't want to do it you know for x y and z and you know especially with the mod severe kiddos like that can't you know some of them have even said in the past oh it's glorified babysitting like I have to change diapers and I have to do this and it's just like okay well it might not be the place. Well, for you. maybe it's that way because <laughs> we're using a one size fits all right, mentality approach. to school mm-hmm. versus really looking at when we talk about inclusion, you know, we need to look at one of the things actually she says on her website is we can always find alternative techniques to reach goals and accomplish tasks. Mm-hmm. So we talk about inclusion and like a lot of people are like, oh, well, like we're giving a student with a disability all this extra stuff mm-hmm. to be included. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. We're using creative solutions that mm-hmm. are equal right. in value to the mainstreaming solution. So right. you have one tool, one and OK, you have a, a typical child is using a pencil. A child with a fine motor deficit is using a pencil with a pencil grip. That pencil grip pencil isn't anything more in value to the mm-hmm. other pencil. It's mm-hmm. just an alternative mm-hmm. creative solution for them to be able to write. That's all. We've had this conversation plenty of times where it's the equity. I know we always say, you know, level of playing field, but it really should. There's like a great illustration takes it like a step further. Right. So we've talked about how there's like a wooden fence and there's three people behind it and they want to see the baseball game. And so then, you know, one's a short guy, one's tall guy, one's medium guy or whatever. And so then it's like, you know, this is how it's not fair. If we, you know, level the playing field, we put the smallest guy on two boxes so he can be at the same level as the tall guy and we put the medium guy on one box. And then there's another illustration that it's just like, that's fine and well. However, there's social economic barriers which are represented by the fence. Right. And the fence shouldn't be there. It's like takes it yeah. like one step further. Right. And so then that's what we're talking about here. Right. Being able to articulate the fact that it's not giving these children all these extra advantages. These things exist on your iPhone. You can have a very bright light. The flash actually right. go off. And that's for people that are hard of hearing that need a visual. Right. And so. I actually know about it. I actually use it only because I now have my phone on silent all the time because I don't want my 
baby to wake up, but I see it, right? From across the room, I'm like, oh my God, what is this bright light, right? So I can use it, right? But the premise behind it was, you know, to help those with different impairments. I think a while ago when like, I remember the Priuses came out, they were like so quiet and people in the heart of seeing community or the blind community were like, this is dangerous because we use our like hearing hearing, and when we're at a crosswalk and like that you know and like Prius was talking about how they were gonna try to put like a noise or whatever like things happen and yes they affect us and yeah maybe you don't think about it until it affects you but that is a problem right and so then that's you know, a bigger premise, Amanda and I actually did a presentation last Friday for our alma mater and, and we were talking about how, you know, the purpose of this podcast, and I don't think we've talked about it in a while, is to get these issues out, right? Food for thought, you yeah. know, just we're because not it doesn't affect in you. every single yeah. field. We're not trying to shove any information down your throat right. or tell you to use one technique or solution. It's about getting as much information out to our listeners as possible. Yeah, because if it doesn't affect you and if you've never heard about it before, you're never going to care about it, right? And so for us, yeah, check out those different things on the... I know also like you can make the text larger and things like that. Yes, that helps my parents. Right. (laughs) So they don't have to wear their glasses, but it was... The premise was to help those of heart of sight. Well, that's the thing is that if we create something that is creative and finds us a different way to approach a problem... Mm -hmm more people are going to be able to access and solve that problem. And we need to be looking at that the same way with education, that it shouldn't be this one size fits all. Because we know even people without disabilities are having trouble in school. There's plenty of notions out there that, you know, we need to be doing something different. We need to be more creative. And, you know, when I, I mean, I'm a huge advocate for inclusion coming from the schools that I've worked at that are, are full inclusion. And for me, I don't see any reason why any kid shouldn't be able to be in the general education classroom. Yeah, it's gonna take some extra work, but it's not necessarily extra work. It's just about thinking creatively, especially because you have a teacher that has to think of a creative solution for one kid. Mm -hmm. It might end up helping five other kids in that Mm -hmm. class. And then 10 years down the line, you're going to be using it year after year. So it's not like I'm saying that each teacher needs to spend an hour a day more just for one kid to be included. It doesn't require that. It just requires a little bit of ingenuity (laughs) on the behalf of, and if everybody does it, it makes it a lot easier. So, And it's not just for the benefit of the child with the unique needs. It actually benefits the other children in the classroom that don't have those unique needs that are seeing or are being now helpful towards that kiddo, Mm -hmm. you know, because if you've never experienced that, then you, you know, don't, it's easy to learn compassion when you see the adults around you showing compassion. So if they're seeing those kiddos separated, they're different. They're not like me. And like, that's how it kind of us versus them Mm -hmm. mentality Mentality that needs to go away. It does. And then also I would say that more teachers are creative and come up with different solutions to different problems. We're teaching problem solving in the real world. I mean, how many times have we talked about how like common core, like the biggest thing about common core math is learn the same, right? Like one of the big things about why common core math is so different is because it's not about teaching like arithmetic Mm -hmm. it's about teaching problem solving Mm -hmm. so like think of it as like all these things the teachers could be doing in the classroom could Mm -hmm. be teaching problem solving skills Mm -hmm. in a way that everybody can learn like why are we not doing this so that we told you we were gonna talk more about copa and so 
this week's episode, we're going to focus on one of the sessions that we went to by Jack Robinson, who was the attorney for Andrew F., the huge Supreme Court case that we've talked about in the past. Um, and I know that we had an episode all about Andrew F. It's now been two years. And so he was able to give us a little bit of an update on what his case has been like and what his case is, especially for Andrew F. since this decision. But one of the big focuses of this presentation that he did this year was about what Andrew F. means for inclusion. So not just talking about that substantive standard. So for those of you who listened to our episode on Andrew F., you'll remember that the Andrew F. Supreme Court decision established a substantive (coughs) standard for determining when children with disabilities are receiving sufficient education. So that appropriate in the FAPE, the free appropriate public education, what is that appropriate? We always say that that's the definition that we're always having to fight over, that word appropriate. So it creates a substantive standard looking at it. So where he was focusing on how we can be using that language to the benefit of inclusion, I really liked because some of it was stuff that I've been trying to use and I think it put it in a perspective that I think would be really good for everyone to kind of hear, okay, how do we use this in real life, right? We've given you a legal standard, but when you're at an IEP meeting or you're just talking about promoting inclusion in society, like why is it that this is important? So he kind of started out, which I always love starting out in this kind of place with Brown B. Board of Education, the concept that in the field of public education, the doctrine of separate but equal has no place, right? That's kind of the premise behind inclusion that we had way back then and yet we're still fighting for today. He talks about how inclusion is not a place. There's a great quote from the Segregation of Students with Disabilities National Council, and quote article that came out February 7, 2018, said, just as the law does not define special education as a place, but rather a configuration of services and supports as defined in a student's IEP, inclusion is not a place, but rather a systematic approach to uniquely addressing student learning and social engagement within the same instructional framework and settings designed for the whole school community. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for how do we define inclusion in these IEPs? not just general education class. So he talked about, obviously, one of the big components of the Ender F standard, that substantive standard, is the appropriately ambitious standard. And so he's kind of tweaked it towards, okay, how do we use this language to make sure that a child, to, to argue that a child should be in general education? He says that, you know, the court basically, there's a couple of quotes of the court brought out in this case, saying, for a child to be fully integrated into the regular classroom, an IEP typically should be reasonably calculated to enable the child to achieve passing marks and advance from grade to grade. That's really important because we often get school teams that say, well, you know, you know, if they're making progress on these goals, then that's progress. You know, progress or progress sake means nothing, right? So we really need to be looking at how can they advance from grade to grade. It's one of the interesting things he says, or the court says, that he pointed out, they say education is what the IDEA promises. So education and progress through mastery of the school curriculum is what our society generally means by an education, mm-hmm. right? And so for most children, the court says achieving appropriately ambitious goals must involve integration into the regular education and individualized special education <laughs> calculated to achieve advancement from grade to grade. Now, obviously, it says for most children. Mm-hmm. So we're not saying that the court is like every child 
child needs to be right. in gen ed. But for most children, in order for, and because we're looking at appropriately ambitious in light of their circumstances, but also looking at typical peers. Mm-hmm. When we think about a typical peer mastering grade to grade, that's what we consider to be an education. They're not receiving an education if they're not. So why are we saying that a child in a special day class who is, yeah, making progress on goals, but is not achieving grade level, grade to grade, right? We're stuck at a first 1.2 grade reading level at third grade, mm-hmm. and the next year they're at a 1.8. That's not progressing grade to grade. Yeah, on their report card, does it say they went from third grade to fourth grade? Yeah, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about mastery of skills from grade level to grade And level. Amanda brought up, you know, appropriate in the light of the child's circumstances. So that really blows open the door or can blow open the door for you as an advocate for your child because now I've had parents that you know we talked about like oh you know this has been helpful but now it's like we're not using it anymore we had described to you guys like the eligibility categories and getting the eligibility category and it opens up the door to all this stuff no that's done we're not saying that anymore it is important to know what the eligibility of the child is and For instance, if he falls under other health impairment, but he is a child with autism, but they are saying, oh, no, well, like his other learning disabilities, like the ADHD is like affecting him. The circumstance that he has autism must be taken into account by the district so that when you are creating those goals that are challengingly ambitious, you are using the fact that he does have the lack of socialization skills that do need to be addressed. So that is major because in rally, you know, we had this comparison where we've said for a long time, you know, you get the Cadillac, you get the Pinto, you know, basically the theme of this year's but after this standard has been kind of filtering itself through the lower courts is that we're done with that, right? They really wanted to get rid of that. And it's more so still individualized for the Mm -hmm. child, but looking at the child's potential for growth, which will go a little bit more in part two, because I had attended some sessions on this potential for growth and how ambitious like what does that mean like we could talk about the definition but like in the context of inclusion that's where we wanted to start because it was something that Amanda has seen firsthand when she well even way before she was an attorney and it's something that we have consistently seen with Mm -hmm. our kiddos that we have been able to advocate for them to stay and the law is very specific it says for the least restrictive environment you need to be able to Stay there and use all supplemental aids and services before trying to remove that child into a special day. The IDEA requires that children with disabilities receive education in the regular classroom whenever possible. Mm -hmm. Whenever possible. I'm tired of these IEP teams Mm -hmm. trying to say it's not possible, it's not possible. Mm -hmm. No, it is. Mm -hmm. It is possible. Or, oh, well, they're not going to, you know, receive a benefit. Okay, well, who defines benefit? But that, you know, when we look at one of the things that, they talked about in terms of inclusion and how we can kind of go into an IEP meeting and say, you know, we want it ambitious. It's kind of like what I was saying. If we have a child in a general education classroom that isn't an IEP who is advancing from grade to grade, meaning that at the end of their third grade year, they have mastered the third level reading curriculum to where when they start fourth grade, they are working on fourth grade level work, right? That is a typical child. So, If we have a child where we have goals being proposed and the goals being proposed say we're going to go from 1.1 fluency 
to 1.6 in a year, Mm -hmm. that is not the same ambitious level of growth that a non-disabled child is receiving. So in light of their circumstances, yes, they may need more support. And so what I would hear is, well, the potential, you know, they're not able to reach that much in a year. Well, no, 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 They may not be able to reach that much in a year if you only give them 30 minutes of reading a week. Right. The goals are not supposed to be driven by services. It's the other way around. So if we're saying that a child should be able to reach a year's worth of growth, and if there's regression and they have the potential to recoup that regression, maybe it should be one and a half. So that's a California-based. That's a California-based, California-based, or Ninth Circuit-based that we'll get into next week. When we look at, you know, if we're creating a goal that says, yes, this child should be advancing a grade level in their reading fluency in a year, then that's when the team, if the team says, yes, that's appropriate, then the next step is we need to revise the services. It shouldn't Mm -hmm. be well. And I had an IEP meeting um, not too long ago where I had a resource teacher say, I can only get the child this far in this amount of time. Mm -hmm. And I go, well, then you're not providing them enough. Right. Because if you can only do so much, that's a limitation on you. Right. You need to change what you're doing. It's not a limitation on the child. Now, Mm -hmm. we will leave you with this. It does not mean that you go into that IEP meeting and, you know, your second grader that's at a kindergarten level, you're just like, this is a state curriculum and they need to be here. No, that's not what you were to use the academic content standards for. It's an alignment. It's something that is a guide. It should not be a replacement for the individualized decision making the team can do based on the child's own unique needs, their level of achievement, and obviously their disability and the potential for growth. So... We know you're excited with this new information. We're going to get into it next week in our part two about some of the practical. Amanda already kind of gave you an example of an IEP that she went to where she was talking about, you know, that's a you problem. And this is where we're at with it. Next week, we'll get into some of the creative ways that a lot of the sessions went into. And also an update that Mr. Robinson had for Andrew. Right, He had given us an update. And that's important because the parents had unilaterally placed him and got him the help that he needed. But we'll get into that next week. I know we're all fired up. But hopefully you have a good week. Sorry about the delay. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.